0: same day that we brought you an historic interview with Mr. Jesse Thorne, Sounds of Young America, etc. We bring you another special edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. This edition of the podcast represents two firsts for us here at Fangraphs. Representing the first of these firsts is a conversation with Dave Cameron and Joe Polakowski from the bowels of the Dolphin and Swan in Orlando, Florida where this year's Winter Meetings are taking place. I discuss with Cameron and Joe Paul the goings-on in the lobby and the media room of self same Hotel, bring you some analysis from those two on some recent transactions. Representing the second of those firsts, or first 2.0, we present in this edition of the podcast two segments. Not only is there the transmission from the Winter Meetings, but a second segment with Patrick Sullivan of Red Sox Beacon and Baseball Analysts. I have Sullivan on A because I want to, but also B, to discuss the Adrian Gonzalez trade and Gonzalez's future with the Red Sox. All the stunning content and more on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, regardless of what I've said in the introduction, uh, believe me now and hear me later, or maybe reverse that, the, uh, the truth of the matter is that uh, we have now a uh, satellite link-up uh, with two of our um, recurring uh, contributors to the show uh, Joe Polakowski and Dave Cameron live from the what is it, Dolphin and Swan the Swan and Dolphin in Orlando the uh, headquarters of the Winter Meetings how are, you doing? Uh, how are you doing Dave? I'm
1: good, we're actually only in the Dolphin I think the Swan you have to walk like 17 miles to get to
0: Right, but in, uh, in Orlando miles it's only like 2.5, right?
1: I don't know. Orlando population's a little older. I would think like it might go the other
0: way. Right, okay, right. Uh, uh, and the other guy uh, joining is, uh, is Joe Joe Polakowski, uh, not in the uh, biggest of apples, but in the... I don't even know what Orlando's nickname is, so I, I daren't exclaim it. But how are it's you doing, Joe?
2: Carson, his nickname is Disney World, because that's all that's here.
0: Right, okay, yeah. And now, uh, in the third guest, uh, not, a, not a guest proper, but is the is the Din in the background. Joe, Paul, who's... Who's behind you? Who's around you? Uh, I said Tom
2: Gordon is just wrapping up something or
0: other.
1: Uh, starting something new, actually.
0: What is he starting? Uh, another
1: interview where he'll talk about how awesome this curveball was.
0: Oh. Is he uh, – now, um, obviously, there are bigger things to talk about, but what is Tom Gordon why, – why is he there? Uh, <laughs> I mean, what is he talking about?
2: Uh, he's got a media badge, so I'm assuming he's with a media outlet.
0: Do we know what sort of media outlet – Probably a baseball-related one. Oh, hey, you guys are great. Um, well, let's let's um we'll get to the uh, the nuts and bolts of some of the signings that have gone on recently. But I know one thing I'm curious about, and uh, and I always assume that if I'm curious about it, at least one person uh, in the world is also curious about it. Is the sort of is the scene um, there at the um, at the Dolphin? Um, you, you guys are in some sort of media room, is that right, Dave Cameron?
1: Well, we're currently standing outside the media room trying to get a little bit of peace and quiet, but we're uh, within shouting distance of a media room, and then, you know, there's a giant lobby with a 4 million foot high Christmas tree that is full of people and is kind of the center of attention.
0: So, wait, it's the room or the Christmas tree that's full of people?
1: Uh, a little bit of both, actually. There's so many people in that room that they have to climb the Christmas tree just to have somewhere to stand.
0: See, that's the sort of uh, hard-hitting analysis you, don't, you won't get from other news outlets. Um, and, and, Dave, what sort of people are, have you seen kind of uh, milling about the premises?
1: Uh, it's, a, it's a wide mix. I mean, you've got about four bazillion uh, job fair kids who are looking here looking for jobs, and they're easily identifiable because they're 22 and in suits. Then you've got, uh, you know, your various collection of baseball people. So at any given point in time, you can turn around and see, like, Peter Gammon's talking to Ken Rosenthal, and then they'll get inter- inter- interrupted by Ozzie Dean and Bruce Bochy. It's just a very interesting collection of people. And, you know, then there's us. The,
0: <laughs> and then there's you and Dave. This is your first time there. Uh, is it is it different in any way than than you anticipated, or kind of right on the right on the money?
1: Yeah, you know, I tried to come in with like no expectations so that I wouldn't be surprised. But it's still maybe a little different than I'd expected, just in the sense of like there really is no structure. Like I was thinking like there might be like okay, we're gonna have this press conference and then gonna everyone's gonna congregate in this room. And it's really just like wander around until your shoulder hits someone else's shoulder and you decide you want to talk to them.
0: Really? Okay, that's interesting. And have you conducted any sort of interviews uh, uh you know like as I know you're typically pretty close to people in the Mariners organization is this uh, have you attempted to reach out at all and introduce yourself as Dave Cameron full-time employee of Fangraphs?
1: Uh, well, I think most of the people in the Marin organization know who I am, so I don't know that I would have to introduce myself. Uh, I have contacted a few of them, and we'll be hanging out later while they're getting a little less than sober, while I remain sober and try to extract information from them. Uh, I did talk to a of Seattle-based media. Uh, you know, one of them uh, mentioned that he uh, he r- ran into me, but not with a car. And I think he was actually hoping that it would have been with a car.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys are... BFFs, no doubt. Now, Joe Paul, you've been there, I believe, a couple years before, as what you said on our last edition of the podcast. Uh, I'm curious for you if if there's any um, difference for you coming this year than there has been other years, or you know, if if for whatever reason this edition of the winter meetings, um, you know, is is a different event than the ones you've been to before.
2: I mean, other than uh, the biggest signing so far happening the day before the meetings officially started, this is exactly the same as the past two years. Um, and right down to the Ozzy Guillen getting all the attention for the managers' meetings, and whoever is doing it at the same time getting no one. Uh, that's basically it, it has happened all three years I've been here.
0: Now, is is Aussie a is he a big target just because he's a talker?
2: Oh yeah, because he'll say anything. You ask him a question, <laughs> and he'll give you an answer, whether it's it's sarcastic or you know genuine. Uh, and people, you know, not only to ask questions, but to sit around and just, what's he going to say next? He's the Howard Stern of baseball managers.
0: Yeah, that is funny. I I, uh, I was sort of following his his report from Twitter, and I guess he was he was talking pretty candidly about his relationship with with Kenny Williams. I don't know if you were party to that conversation. I was not a party to that conversation. Uh, I also heard uh, via the twitters that you that you uh, let out an was it you that let out an audible laugh uh, when the Colorado Rockies announced the Melvin Morris signing.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just I just I couldn't help but uh, let out a laugh, and Tommy Grancel from the Process Report uh, called me out on it.
0: Right now, is that something that's frowned upon uh, on the premises, or, or is it acceptable to do that sort of thing?
2: Um, I mean, it was just me loading MLB trade rumors and seeing it, so uh, it's just a random laugh. And there's enough random noises in that room that it's, was never connected to that uh, to that connection to that transaction. It's not like someone got up on the podium and said, "Melvin Mora signs with the Diamondbacks," and I started cracking up.
0: Right, but that oh, would have been funny too. All right, so so one thing before we get to to, to some specifics about player signings. Um, you guys are uh, are there, obviously. Um, um, Dave, very specifically, and Joe Paul, um, you can't, you won't be able to escape it either. You're, you know, you're under the banner of FanGraphs. Uh, you, you know, you maybe represent electronic as opposed to print media. Um, obviously, a tradition that's you know less well established, and maybe sort of eyed suspiciously, uh, suspiciously by some people who are sort of uh, more and uh, you know, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, buddied up to the uh, the baseball um, powers to be. I wonder if you have experienced anything, you know, or I guess what your experience has been generally as as someone who who uh, is coming under that banner. Dave, why don't you start? I mean, obviously you don't necessarily have any expectations coming in, but how have you generally been received uh, when when talking with people?
1: Yeah, I think uh, part of it might be selection bias, but I've, I've been treated really well, mainly because I've talked to people that I already know who and who kind of like us. Like, you know, I've seen some people around who, like, uh, you know, I've walked by Steve Phillips 15 times and have never stuck out my hand and said hello, and I, I don't really want to know what he thinks of us, so I just don't <laughs> ask. You know? so, I, so I see people who look friendly and maybe see me and smile, and then I go talk to them. So, uh, you know, I think I'm trying to keep my uh, my experience a positive one by maybe not targeting people who might hate me.
0: <laughs> right, and um, now as far as the deals that have come through, I, I mean, um, is this the sort of thing where where you'll have a conversation maybe uh, w- with someone who's who's more of you know, coming from more of a traditional angle? And you will sort of be able to add uh, an analytical angle. Is that is anything like that happened, or do you expect it to happen? Uh,
1: I had a conversation with a, a Anaheim-based writer, and we were talking about some stuff. You know, and they and they have some information about what the Angels were doing, and so you know, we were talking about some of their plans. And uh, he, you can tell that he's probably more a little bit of the traditional mindset. So you know, uh, I, I talked a little bit of the my angle. We we probably didn't necessarily agree on valuations and stuff, but it's still interesting to be able to have a conversation and you know, hopefully gained something from what I said and I think I gained something
0: from what he said well cool and Joe Paul for you too I mean again you're having the perspective of someone who's been here before but um, you know do you uh, you know like like Cameron do you, do you tend to do you think to sort of seek out uh, not necessarily like minded but at least sympathetic uh, people or, or have you stuck your hand out in Steve Phillips direction
2: no 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 well, with me it's easier because I'm here you know mainly with the S network so it's easy to kind of locate the Yanks guys and they're kind of familiar with yeah, you know, most of them are familiar with River Out Blues, so yeah, you make you make nice little small talk with them, and they, you know, they're generally cordial even if they don't like it. Like you get the kind of some of the, I get the sense from some of them that they're not uh, so friendly to what we do, uh, mm-hmm. but mostly it's been nice. I mean, Jack Curry from the S Network, who is a tremendous tremendous gentleman, I mean, made it a point to come over and say hi to us uh, and compliment us thoroughly when it should be us complimenting him. Uh, you know, but everyone else, and you know, I haven't gone out of my way to talk to people I know are going to be hostile or um, unaccepting.
0: Right now, I will say uh, also to Jack Curry's credit, he had uh, one of the one of the tweets of the day, at least so far as I could tell, is that a um, um, a, a report about Cliff Lee that was uh, uh, mostly about how Cliff Lee was on a deer hunting excursion. That seems to be one of one of Cliff Lee's main pastimes. Uh, let's let's all right. So let's talk. Uh, get down into some of the the contracts uh, and the deals that have gone down. It's impossible to ignore the Jason Worth deal, even uh, despite the fact, of course, that uh, officially it went down. Um, I guess on the eve of the winter meetings, uh, Cameron. Let's start with you. Uh, this deal, um, Jason Worth. I think it's was it seven one twenty six. Has been I think uh, roundly criticized. Um, Maybe you know from really all three uh, potential sources, which would be um, I've seen it I've seen it tweeted that uh, other front offices are sort of uh, snickering at it. Uh, maybe more traditional media sources are uh, looking at it askancely, and then also I think probably from uh, from the sort of more fan graphs uh, sympathetic type of um, readers' viewers uh, it would also be viewed that way. Uh, first of all, is that how you're seeing it? And second of all, what is the logic? Because obviously there's some logic to the signing. What is it?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean I haven't talked to anybody who understands this move. Other than the argument is that if the Washington Nationals ever won a player of this caliber, the only way to get it is to overpay. So their options were to uh, not have Jason Worth or pay Jason Worth this much money. The idea that they could have gotten him for less is generally rejected as a as an option and so you know they kind of set it up as an economy of you can't have him or you have to pay him this. I think most people still think that it's probably be better to not have him than to have him at these prices. But really most people, shock is really I would say, the word of the day. When you talk about the Jason Worth contract, everybody gets just is stunned by the length of the deal. A seven year deal for Worth. As good a player as he is, no one saw this coming. Um, so I think that, you know, as much as Jason Worth is a good player and you know I tried to lay it out in the post that there is a scenario if everything goes well, he ages pretty well, uh, we get 8% annual inflation every year for the next seven years, then he could not be the worst contract ever. Uh, but that's a really optimistic scenario to hope to break even. And the, the truth of the matter is the Nationals took on a ton of risk to add a player who probably still isn't going to help them win.
0: Yeah, so um, so they overpaid. That's very clear. Um, I mean, what is the... So what is the, the difference between like what we might say is actual baseball value is and the amount that they paid him what are they paying for there
1: I, I think they're paying for the idea that they can be a respectable franchise. it seems like they went to the uh whole foods of baseball and tried to purchase respectability at the cost of 40 million dollars and so they said okay we're tired of being the the butt of the joke we're tired of being the team that loses we're tired of being the whose franchise player thinks that the, the organization's cheap and that we don't want spend, you we know, do look bad letting out a go. Let's go out and really prove to everyone that we're for real. So they went and tried to buy respectability. It just came at a tremendous, potentially franchise crippling cost.
0: Now, uh, Joe Paul, from your perspective, and, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, um, but from your perspective, do you see any precedent to signing like this? Is there any sort of signing that, that this Jason Worth signing reminds you of?
2: Um, I got to go back to the Mike Hampton signing. Uh, if anything else, you know the Rockies are trying to make a splash at the time, and that you know they, 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 I don't think anyone came close to that offer for Mike Hampton, from what I can remember. Uh, so it, it is kind of reminiscent of that. Uh, I don't think it's. I mean, I don't think it's a good deal. I don't think anybody. You could put anybody in the spot and have them think it's a good deal. Uh, but I think the Nationals are being a little narrow-minded in that they're really playing. They're really paying for years three and four of that deal. And as Dave said, uh, that they're only really paying for those years if those years work out. You know, if every. You know, if. Strasburg comes back if Zimmerman recovers if uh, if if Harper develops as they as as he's supposed to that's a lot of things that's got to go right for them um, and in, if they do go right it's not going to be until year three or four of the one deal uh, so they're really paying for the you know, they're paying for when they're really the, the years he's going to be most useful is when he's 34 to 35 years old
0: now it, it, what if we look at it like this and you know and, and uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on this that like we'll say that maybe a hundred million dollars of the contract is to pay for Worth's baseball value, and then the extra twenty is essentially like a payment for, uh, like Cameron was saying, like you know legitimacy, or it's essentially marketing. Uh, I mean, if we look at it that way and we we try to understand it in a holistic way, does that provide any more validity to the signing?
1: Yeah, I think if, if you look at it in terms of like the, the annual average value of the contract isn't actually that crazy. I think if Jason Worth would have signed for four years at 18 million per year, everyone would have said, yeah, five years at 18 million per year, maybe we'd be like, ah, okay, the market's inflated a little bit, but that's, you know, Boston was interested, we're not that surprised. It's really the fact that he got six and seven years, uh, at the end, that's be 38, 39, 18 million a piece, that's probably more once they backload the contract. So I think we're really looking at it as like maybe those first five years made sense. And so for the next five years, it won't be that big a deal. But then you're looking at like $36, $40 million at the back end of that contract that is probably going to be something close to dead money that they had to eat in order to get worth on their team for the first five years.
0: Okay, so not, so not so good. Now, you did mention there that uh, the, the, the prices have been higher per win. Uh, we're looking still at around uh, $5 million per win. Is that right, guys?
1: Yeah, I mean that's kind of the estimate of the
0: day. Uh, you know, we're going to have to wait till the end of the off season to figure
1: out if that's actually what teams are paying. But based on what we're seeing with prices, and there's about four million win last year, it's definitely higher this year. It
0: might end up closer to five and a half
1: if
2: things keep going this way. Well, if Adrian Beltray gets his five-year, seventy million dollar deal, he wants that's going to inflate the price of a win. Uh,
0: now, with regard to Adrian Beltray, uh, a couple things on that. Joe Paul, have you heard anything uh, about that about that deal or where, where Beltray might end up? Any suspicious? Oh. Suspicion. You know,
2: the, well the thing with the you know, because you know, Boris came out today and said that you know Beltre was looking for five seventy and whatever, you don't get a red cent you don't ask for, so you can never blame him for coming in with an over the top deal. And even with the inflated, you know, the inflated prices this winter, the problem with Beltre is his options are are dwindled at this point. He can't he's not going back to Boston. They don't have a spot for him now that they traded for Adrian Gonzalez. Uh they uh, you know he said he won't play for the you know, he said he's not interested in playing for the A's and they had an offer out, so that ruins that suitor at a a pretty good price for you. Know, it was four sixty four. They offered five five sixty four. So that's a you know the top of the market offer that he apparently won't consider. So that kind of limits him. You know he's looking pretty much. Um, you know even if he wanted to sign with the Orioles. They have Mark Reynolds now. Uh, you know he's looking at basically Anaheim as his biggest suitor at this point. And you know they've been in on Carl Crawford. So
0: he's probably so going to get paid like a billion dollars now, right? Because <laughs> of the Jason Worth deal.
2: I heard someone uh, someone in the uh, chat I did this afternoon on River Blue said, why isn't his agent saying 8-200? Why isn't his agent saying
0: 8-200? Oh man, there's a big laugh back there. Who do we, uh, who's holding court? When somebody really likes the 8-200 joke. Oh yeah, or that's good. Yeah, Joe Paul's hilarious guy. That's a great idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, now, uh, Joe Paul, you mentioned briefly the Mark Reynolds deal. Uh, did you hear about that coming, uh, you know, before it happened, and uh, what's your sort of take on it? There was it, when when you learned that Kevin Towers was probably going to trade uh, Mark
2: Reynolds, which was pretty obvious from his opening press conference when he said they were going to cut down on strikeouts. Uh, he almost basically, you know, that's almost like a jab <laughs> right at Mark Reynolds. Uh, you know, uh, the Orioles were named as an interesting team. It didn't surprise me at all. Um, you know, the David Hernandez, the, the Mark Reynolds, David Hernandez idea has been floating around for about a week or so now. Uh, so it, was not, it wasn't a surprise to see it get done. The Orioles definitely need a third baseman um, who can slide over the diamond if Josh Bell uh, does start to hit somewhat. Uh,
0: yeah, and now, and uh, Cameron, I want to go back to you here. The um, you know we've seen a couple other smaller deals. There was the Brewers deal from Markham. Uh, you know there was the uh, the Diamondbacks deal, uh, almost replacing instantly um, Mark Reynolds for Melvin Mora. And then uh, of course there is the. There's the Red Sox deal, and actually, uh, in the uh, 15 minutes or so after this particular interview, uh, I talk with um, Red Sox beacons uh, and baseball analyst uh, Patrick Sullivan about the Gonzalez deal. What I'm curious okay. about is um, deals we might we might see uh, happening, you know, for the, over the next couple of days. Uh,
1: yeah, my my take on this, and I think we saw a little bit of this of the Sean Markham trade. Is I think. Markham was kind of the fallback pan for the Brewers who didn't get Zach Granke, but I think we're going to see Granke move this week. I know they're talking, the cost is high, but I think there's going to be a lot of teams who realize that they don't have a chance at Cliff Lee and is going to be the next best guy. They're not going to throw a lot of years at Carl Volano. I, I think we're going to see movement on Granke this week and I think, given Kansas City's current situation, the fact that Granke doesn't really want to stay there uh, it makes sense for them to move him, and this is the perfect time for them to do it. So I wouldn't be surprised if we woke up Tuesday or Wednesday and
0: found out that Zach Granke was on
1: the block and headed somewhere very soon.
0: Okay, and Joe-Paul, what would you say if you, if there was a move that was going to happen over the next couple of days? Is it Granke or is it someone else?
2: I, I really think it's going to be Cliff Lee. Um, coming into the meetings, his agent was saying he saw it getting done. He's kind, of, he's kind of walked that back a little bit uh, in the past couple of days, but uh, he's basically the. Since we've gotten here, we've gotten the ongoing to drive up uh, Cliff Lee uh, media narrative. It's you know, oh his you know his friends on Texas said he'd come back for a sixth year, and you know the Yankees offered more money, and now uh, you know he's talking. Uh, was it? A, oh yeah, the meeting with the Yankees went well today, you know, and things like that. He's getting all that stuff out there in the public. I think he's really trying to get that last. uh that last push in for the biggest contract you can possibly get, trying to get that sixth or even maybe seventh year, even though I don't think he's, you know, realistically going to get a seventh year.
0: Well, cool. Hey, guys, uh, thanks so much. I'm going to let you, um, you know, go to your uh, various parties, or uh, Dave, I guess in your in your case, uh, attempting to um, encourage the the Mariners. Uh, Front office to imbibe so that you can get from them the dirtiest of secrets. Uh, but uh, until we meet again, uh, Dave, thank you very much for joining us, sir.
1: Yeah, thanks
0: for having us. Carson. Okay, cool. Joe Paul, thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you, sir.
0: Yeah, and uh, I hope to I hope to talk to you guys sooner than later. Uh, I'm not lying when I say I am Carson Stooley, and this has been another white hot segment on Fangraphs Audio. <laughs> Provided I know what I'm talking about, or have known what I'm talking about in the introduction to this segment, uh, it's very likely that you know already that the guy on the other line, uh, the other end of this particular line, is Patrick Sullivan. You will almost definitely recognize that name, uh, because it's the name actually of 75% of people in the greater Boston area. This Patrick, this particular version of Patrick Sullivan, though, uh, is a writer for Baseball Analysts, uh, the brainchild, now kind of the brain teenager of uh, rich letterer he also has started I think within the last year or so uh, Red Sox beacon he can correct me on that and he does that with a with a whole bunch of other smart guys he uh, has his finger on the pulse of uh, Red Sox and uh, the Red Sox the Boston Red Sox and their goings on and I, I believe if I'm not mistaken he's he's uh, right now on the the uh, the banks of the the river Charles is that right Pat Sullivan
3: uh, very close to the banks of the River Charles, about a half mile or so. Is that right? So, I mean, uh, okay, yeah. I was
0: actually blowing wind or blowing smoke up your dress or whatever the phrase is, but you're actually really close there.
3: Yeah, it turns out I have pants on today, uh, but <laughs> but uh, I am very close to the banks of the River Charles.
0: Well, this is already going in the wrong direction because I thought yeah, I expressly is. asked you. Anyway, um, we could talk about your dressing habits maybe later in the interview. Uh, the reason you're okay. here... I, I guess expressly the, the flimsy pretense, or the pretty strong pretense, I guess, uh, upon which uh, your presence has been made possible, is the signing of Adrian Gonzalez by the Red Sox. The uh, I, I also, it's just uh, I've wanted to have you on the program, so uh, this creates a a, a good excuse. Um, well, let's start with the news of the day. Uh, I believe it uh, came out last night. It's being it's it's been finalized. It's being finalized. Adrian Gonzalez is a Boston Red Sox. Uh, we've had some analysis on this at FanGraphs. So what is sort of the, uh, re- you know, the sort of orthodox Red Sox take, uh, so far as you can say?
3: Well, it's, uh, the, the key thing is that they've gone out and they've acquired uh, an individual who is truly a, a marquee player. Um, they've done a really nice job, the Red Sox have, of developing their own. Um, when you think of Kevin Youkilis and Dustin Pedroia and John Lester, um, and Jacoby Ellsbury. Um, they have Daniel Barr, Jonathan Papelbon. They've managed to um, develop a nice nucleus of uh, homegrown talent, which really has uh, sort of had the, the, the dual impact of not really necessitating going out and making these sorts of acquisitions while remaining really competitive. And the result of that has been to take some heat in the local media, saying that they're not aggressive enough, et cetera, um, well, that this quiets some of that cr- criticism. Um, Gonzalez is, a, is a, probably a top five or ten major league player, and, uh, they're getting him at the age of 28, which is really exciting for Red Sox fans.
0: Right, and we're talking, uh, now the trade obviously with down. it was, uh, I'm sorry, it was Casey Kelly and two others. Can you tell us about some of those guys, your sort of takes on them? Yeah,
3: Raymond Fuentes is is a is a young outfielder uh, that has shown a lot of promise that that is probably the the guy that's farthest away. Um, Anthony Rizzo is um, the one guy that, um, that 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 people really love. He made a huge jump last year. He was I believe, the youngest player in the Eastern League playing for the Portland Sea Dogs. And he had a monster year both at the plate, and he's, uh, regarded as, um, a really elite defender at first base as well. Um, I've even seen it, uh, the comparison to Adrian Gonzalez made in some areas, uh, or in some articles I've seen, and I think that's reasonably apt. Um, Casey Kelly's a guy who, um, he's sort of, I think of him as kind of the, the, the pitching version of Hanley Ramirez. Hanley Ramirez was a guy whose performance in the minor leagues was never quite, living up to his hype um, and then obviously once he got to the major leagues he, he really became a star I'm not sure that Casey Kelly is going to become that in major league baseball as a pitcher that caliber of player um, but but Casey Kelly is someone that scouts um, absolutely love the Red Sox love him and uh, are, are really pumped out to be parting with him um, but he's got a, a sensational makeup uh, if you watch him on the mound which I have a few times um he uh, live. You, you, you can't help but be impressed with his uh, his his uh, the way he carries himself on the mound and, and, and just his his control. He has a number of plus pitches, all that stuff that scouts talk about. Uh, people love
0: about him. Do you think this is one of those types of trades? And and uh, I mean, I guess ideally they all work uh, work out like this. But do you think that it's maybe one of those trades that that really benefits both teams pretty clearly? The Red Sox get a sort of um, franchise. Defining uh, batter in Adrian Gonzalez, San Diego Padres, who are sort of at a different place uh, organizationally, gets three, you know, uh, three prospects. Who, you know, when you figure, at least one of them will probably help them out in the long run. Is it a situation where both clubs are really benefiting? Do you think?
3: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I mean, you know, the Gonzalez benefit, I think, I think is there. I mean, barring injury or or injury or something like that, um, he should be an impact player for a really long time for the Red Sox. as far as the prospects headed out to San Diego, um, yeah, you know, I think there's a good chance that those guys are contributing in the major leagues uh, sooner than people maybe even suspect. Um, you know, the, the, the trade that maybe is is somewhat uh, comparable, I already mentioned him as Hanley Ramirez, um, really hurts to lose a guy like that. But at the same time, there's no way the Red Sox are 2007 World Series champs without Josh Beckett and Mike Lowell. And so those are the sorts of trades you're, you're happy to make, I think, uh, from from, from – both parties' perspectives.
0: Now, how do you think? Uh, you know, I, I think it was two years ago, maybe right about this time, a little bit later in the season, uh, there was a lot of conversation about Mark Teixeira, and there was you know a general feeling that the Yankees had kind of uh, stolen Teixeira out from under the uh, the grasp of the Red Sox. How do, how do you sort of place the Gonzalez signing in the context of the Teixeira signing?
3: Well, there's a few things on that. So I've seen I've seen it. Um, Written a few different places that this notion that um, the Red Sox are basically getting Tashera, except that they actually have to trade for them for him now, um, because they uh, were unwilling to uh, sort of close the deal um, a couple of seasons ago. I think that analysis is a little bit flawed, and that's for 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 one reason. It's just because I think Adrian Gonzalez is is uh, not not you know considerably better, but he's an, he's he's better than Mark Tashera. He's two years younger. Um, and, and his performance on a park adjusted basis offensively over the last two seasons is is markedly better than Tejera's. Um, and 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 so I think you know giving up prospects for a player of that cal- calibre who's both younger and better is okay. Um, you know that said, yeah, the Red Sox wanted Teixeira badly a couple years ago, and and the Yankees got him. And and you know I just don't know that you can worry too much about being uh outbid by the the, the richest team in. What professional sports in the world I mean I, you know I, I never understand when the Red Sox are criticized for losing out well yeah, I mean yeah like
0: it, and having myself spent some time in that particular media climate um, it, it, it is and I was actually just discussing this with Peter Schenke today who's in charge of the guy over at Rotowire Like how, how even though the Red Sox are so well run the Boston media essentially has no other uh, mode but to criticize the front office even though uh, it only makes them, i.e., the journalists, look a little bit like dummies while they're doing it.
3: There, there are people here who who still act as though the Red Sox don't know what they're doing, or like they like like no credibility has been built up in some media circles here in Boston. It's it's pretty astounding.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, I, I've seen a, a couple of um, sort of uh, maps, batted ball maps, courtesy of of MLB Game Day. Yeah, of, of the, uh, you know, Gonzalez batting profile uh, laid over Fenway Park. <laughs> uh, and I, I think it shows that he would have hit like, you know, 90, 90 home runs or something. Um,
3: yeah, I'm trying not to giggle on yeah. the other line. On the how the other does line that work? Area. I
0: mean, uh, obviously, it, it's a slightly different approach or whatever that goes along with it. Uh, but, but you know, realistically, it, it maybe off the cuff a little bit, how do you view Gonzalez and Fenway?
3: Well, I think, so, so I actually, uh, Mark Normandin, who, who writes a Red Sox beacon, uh, with me and a baseball prospectus is sort of a dual Padres Red Sox fan, and so he, he's really got a beat on Gonzalez, and, and we were talking, and he, he was telling, telling me that he really thinks that, you know, the, the, the big impact is that Petco really suppresses, uh, Gonzalez's home runs, or just hitting in general for lefties. Um but, you know, Fenway Park is tough to hit home runs for, for a left-handed hitter. Um, it'll be less tough if they uh, they plan on moving the fences in the right field, the bullpen, um, but tough nonetheless. Where I think we'll see a huge impact is um, is, is doubles. I think I think Gonzalez is really going to pound the left field wall some way,
0: and he's pretty um, adept he's going, really... at going opposite field.
3: Yeah, he's a really natural opposite field stroke. As Theo said today in, uh, in his press conference, um, he, that's his that is his natural swing when he's taking it the other way, and he can do it with loft. And so I wouldn't. Uh, you know, yeah. I think we'll be seeing plenty of home runs to left field as well. But I think you'll see a huge spike in his doubles.
0: And and, and excuse me for uh, for my ignorance, but uh, luckily you you'll probably know what is now the contract situation with Gonzalez, because I believe that there was uh, sort of some hand wringing about whether or not he would sign, uh, you know, a deal right away, or if he was signing a deal. Um, what, so what's what's Gonzalez and what's the status of the team going forward?
3: Yeah, there's a couple things. There are a couple key points there. One is um, I'm not quite clear on the ramifications specifically, but I think there are, there is some sort of collective bargaining or luxury tax um, implication to announcing the deal at this point. So there are some circles that say the a, a deal's already been accre- agreed upon, but they just have to wait on the timing of announcing it for that purpose. Um, they did something similar with Beckett um, a few years back, and so or last year. I'm sorry. And so I think what you'll see is an announcement made um, right after spring training, before opening day, that that Gonzalez has been extended. Um, the numbers I've seen floated are anywhere from, um, I, I think it's about seven years or eight years, um, totaling about, I think, hundred $155 a million, $165 million, somewhere in there.
0: And and you know just sort of again off the cuff, do you do you view that as uh, as a pretty fair deal for both sides? Do you think one side is getting the upper the upper uh, hand on that?
3: No, I mean I mean you look at you look at Ryan Howard's contract, or you look at Mark Teixeira's contract, and um, you know Adrian Gonzalez has every right to ask for that sort of money, and so uh, it seems pretty in line with the going rate for an elite first baseman. Do you
0: think do you think people will be surprised? Um, at how good Adrian Gonzalez is I mean obviously you know even I feel like smart fans they know that Adrian Gonzalez is good but between playing in a you know like a slightly less uh, I guess less robust media market combined with just like it's its hard with players who play in Petco to really f- understand viscerally how good of a hitter they could possibly be do you think that do you think that we're going to be really surprised at how good Adrian Gonzalez is
3: you know I think I think that that may well be the case I mean um you know, on the one hand, I, I woke up this morning and, and was getting ready for work, and the local news channel put his numbers up, and sure enough, it's 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 batting average, home runs, and RBIs. No mention of this his home park, and so there it is, 99 RBIs on the screen, and that obviously sells short the caliber of Clary is. Um, but that said, there's there's no I ha- that was really the only um, sort of traditional mention I've seen of his numbers that would paint him in an underwhelming light. I think to the media's credit. Um, they recognize Adrian Gonzalez as a really elite player, um, but with all that said, I also think that that the spike in his numbers will probably be um, pretty eye-opening um, because of the type of hitter he is and the fit he is at Fenway Park. Um, I think I think he should he, he probably will raise some eyebrows. It was funny that I was talking with a friend about you know now Kevin Euclid is the third baseman for the Red Sox and and Adrian Gonzalez is the first baseman. And I, w- I was thinking about it. If you polled people and said, "What is the better first base, third base combo? Mark Teixeira and Alex Rodriguez, or Kevin Euclid and Adrian Gonzalez?" I don't think many of them would say the Red Sox duo uh, is better. But if you look at their recent performance uh, and, and consider their respective ages, it's hard to argue that the Red Sox actually don't have the upper hand there. Um, which I think is pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, it's, it's probably. I mean, it's probably good for ownership, right? That the uh, their perceived value. Is, is lower than their actual value? I assume that um, yeah. I mean, with the exception of marketing, maybe uh, in terms of wins, it, pr- it probably helps in the amount of money they spend. Well, that's
3: a whole other conversation. There's a lot of discussion up here in Boston about buzz. How the, the Red Sox need buzz back, as though um, trying to capture buzz in any way, um, you know, is a strategy that diverges from trying to win. Um, you know, that's a whole other topic of discussion.
0: Yeah, I don't know um, what the correlation they is. They seem between. to have some. Between buzz and victories, I'm sorry, the, the the correlation between buzz and victories. Yeah,
3: it, 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 uh, that's what I said. I said, no, if, if if you start out the year, you know, six and eleven or whatever the Red Sox did, and then every player visits the disabled list, and um, you're running Daniel Nava and Darnell McDonald out there, and you're in, you know third place comfortably in the middle of the summer, um, yeah, fan interest might wane a little bit. <laughs> it's not the end of the world,
0: right? And then uh, finally, uh, before we let you go here. Uh, in terms of the Red Sox uh, offseason going forward I mean obviously they've made like this pretty substantial signing and um, I, I guess maybe comment briefly on Adrian Beltre and then any other sort of moves you see being made or needs they need to address
3: yeah I mean on Beltre I don't know um, he, 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 I, I don't know if Boris has overplayed his hand there with, with Beltre um, with Baltimore acquired Mark Reynolds that's one less third base suitor um the Red Sox have said emphatically that Kevin Euclid will not be moving to the outfield, so, you know, there's no chance the Red Sox will be signing him now. Um, you know, I think there's a chance Scott Boras has to go back to the A's and, and, and say, you know, what, what, what can we get from you? But, you know, at the same time, I don't I don't rule out the uh, the, the possibility that Boras could still have met a great deal for, for Beltreye. As for the rest of the Red Sox, um, another Boris client, Jason Ward, just pretty much blew the outfield market out of the water for yeah, no. Carl Crawford. Um, so it's hard to imagine uh with the investment the Red Sox are reported to have just made in Adrian Gonzalez, them going um, them doing what it's gonna have to be to get Crawford. So um, one name that was rumored today was Josh Willingham. Um, you know, he'd be a right handed bat that would complement the outfield nicely with uh, with with Ellsbury and Cameron, two righties and Drew, one lefty uh, in place there, all of whom have some injury risk though, so you're going to want a good solid fourth outfield option. Um, so if someone like Willingham can make some sense, they need some relief pitching help, which is a tough predicament to be in because you don't want to go spending a ton of money on relief pitching when performance, as we all know, fluctuates wildly from year to year, but I've heard um, you know, Scott Downs, Brian Fuentes, a couple of names the Red Sox are interested in.
0: Well, cool. Hey, um, Patrick, yeah. th- thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it, it's like I said, i sort of harbored a, a desire to get you on to the to the pod, and, and here you are, um, really uh, acing it, a hundred percent. Thank you very much for joining us from the uh, from not from necessarily the banks of, but very close to uh, the River Charles, sir. Thanks a
3: lot, Carson. I had a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, take care, and uh, uh, we'll talk to you later. This has been. Right. Uh, yeah. This has been. Pheagraphs Audio. Um, thank you for joining